Welcome to the local podcast. I'm your host, Clay Berkland. My guest this week is Elliot Bloom. Uh, Elliot is an attorney with Beardsley, Jensen, and Lee, and I'm very pleased to have him on today. Elliot, thank you for being here. Oh, I appreciate it. It's always nice to talk about this kind of stuff. So, We're uh, at heart a couple of ranch kids, and I guess we probably have a lot of the same goals for people we know. Uh, so that that brings us to the estate planning, estate administration, that type of thing we'll be discussing today. But before we get that far in the conversation, Elliot, uh, can you share with me kind of where you grew up, how you grew up, how you got to be at this point in your career and why you're enjoying these types of things? Yeah, of course. Um, grew up on a ranch just kind of southeast of Rapid. Uh, parents still ranch in scenic South Dakota. I try to get there on the weekends when I can to help with chores and feed and like most kids, do any loose ends that need to be done from the week. You don't want to clean a chicken coop, but you will go bring some cows in. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, I uh, went east side of the state for college and law school, um, but before law school I got to, luckily, uh, tour all the meatpacking plants in the United States. Um, I was a chemistry graduate um, and got my degree in chemistry, so I developed cleaning chemicals for all the meatpacking plants, okay. traveled around, did some third-party audit kind of stuff. Um, and then when that company kind of moved out of state, that's when I decided to go to law school and eventually brought me back home. And I just wanted to do something that I could keep the ranches going throughout the family and found a way to do it and love every minute of it. So how many years roughly do you have in a estate planning, estate administration? Um, well, this will be my sixth year in practice, I believe. Okay. Yep. And I'm sure you have a cookie-cutter solution for everyone. They're all the same. There's no variation from one to the next. <laughs> um, there's scenarios that keep showing up, but none yeah. of them are the same. Every single one is completely different. Different goals, different types of avenues of gifting, um, and, and the big thing, different family dynamic. Yep, 100%. Uh, I've been fortunate. I've been a lender for 30 years, and through that have developed so many relationships with some fantastic people. Um, but after 30 years, they're to the point of um, we, we kind of grew through our careers together. They're, they put the ranches together. Their cows are paid for. Their machinery is paid for. And now they've got kids back home and grandkids back home and are trying to transition. And uh, you know as well as I do that it's very hard to uh, to make it fair, to make it efficient for an operation to continue to do that. So, uh, where do you start when I, when I come in and bring, bring my customer into you, where's point A? Uh, point A is really getting to know the operation, how it's run, when they feed calves, when they sell calves, or they, do they do fall calvers? Understanding the operation, um, is kind of my main goal and what I like to do because I can kind of relate it to what I grew up in. And then I get a feel of the family dynamic. Yeah. Which kid is coming back? Uh, what the goals are uh, of the family? Who's going to take over? Is there one, two? Is there any family member or kid that's off the ranch? Um, and then I have that that conversation. What are your goals? You know, fairness is not always the best goal going into it. Um, and then we start looking at kind of structure, how we want to transition. One of the biggest things that that 
I see in my own personal family is, is control. Um, you know, these ranchers have worked their whole life every day outside dealing with the decisions, the weather, you know, are we going to get the rain? Are we going to have a blow freezing and a bunch of calves are going to die? Um, they're in it. So it's really hard for them to start losing that control to the next generation. They've um, walked every step and know the hard path to get where they are today. And yeah, that. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's hard to start from scratch these days. So, you know, one of my main goals is when we, when I look at this and how we plan, I hate the idea of having these ranches bought again, every generation. Yeah. Um, now, sometimes that's just the way it has to be, uh, cause that's the goals for the client. But if we can avoid these ranches getting bought every single generation, yeah. that's my goal. Cause it's hard to get out from under that, grow the ranch. Um, when we're having a liability right away, when we're getting it. Yeah. Debt structure, uh, definitely comes into play. Uh, do you have to have maybe some insurance structure to, to buy some people out? I mean, there, there's so many different ways you can do it. Um, so once you've gotten to know them and you've kind of cleared the hurdle for point A, uh, it gets a lot easier at point B then, I assume. <laughs> point B is is a lot easier. Um, I think the hardest part, at least West River, is getting them in to see me, getting yeah. them to that conversation. It's hay in season. It's time to kick bulls out. It's time to run around fence. It's time to yep. ship calves. And uh, we run into the same, you know, I work with them more on the trust side of things than the pure estate planning side, the, the paperwork side that you're doing. But yeah, getting... If it's a three-person operation, a four-person operation, for them all to be willing to give up two, three hours, plus an hour's drive time both ways to come see you, Yep, those days don't happen very often. We'd rather do something than talk to an attorney or a banker, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and, and, and I understand it. I get it. I mean, luckily, the younger ranchers, farmers, you know, they have technology. They're a little more tech savvy. We can have a meeting when they're feeding or in the hay field. Yeah. Um, but getting them in is the, is the hardest part realizing that, Hey, I need to have this expense to get things planned. Um, I'm sure people would rather spend money on, you know, a roll of twine than (laughs) coming to see me. And I, and I get that. I, there's just so many bad consequences without thinking about this, um, that I see that I litigate, uh, that we, we try to avoid it at the beginning. Not trying to scare anybody, but it's a unfortunate reality of what we see. Uh, five to ten thousand dollars of planning today can avoid untold costs down the road. Uh, well, I, I mean, I I try to tell people, you know, you if, if this goes to fighting, and you don't pay the upfront cost, you could the ranch could be sold, and it's not in the family anymore. So, I mean, you have a million dollar ranch, um, it could be gone to pay attorney's fees, which, I mean, I don't want that. I, I don't want anybody to have to do that. No. Uh, it, it, it's a dire-sounding threat, but it's reality of it. If you get two people, three people that want to go to litigation over it because, by golly, they're going to have X, um, mm-hmm. you can burn something up so fast. Uh, I was in a state planning seminar years back put on by a gentleman from Nebraska, and he shared a story about two sisters uh, they get done with the fight and they're walking out and the, they said to the one girl, you spent $200,000 on that and ended up with nothing. And she said it was worth every penny. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you hate to think that people have that in them, uh, especially within a family. But unfortunately, it's can be reality. And yep. we've unfortunately seen that side on occasion. So. 100%. And, you know, the, the bad part of my job is I've been in those fights and I get to see that. Um, and it's just, it's a sad day when that ranch is sold and the money goes to attorneys when nobody has anything to show for it yep. at the end. So that's part of our goal today is for you and I to tell people how, <laughs> yes. how we can do our work on this end um, so that we don't have to face those consequences down the road. Yep. Um, I, you know, representing the bank, we work with hands full of attorneys, uh, CPAs in Western South Dakota that we have a lot of confidence in. We've we've seen their work product and know that they, they too have the best interest of our customers and folks in in this business at heart. Um, roughly how many estate attorneys would you say that are practicing in Western South Dakota that, that you're comfortable with? Oh, you know, I can count them on two hands. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and the, that's a big issue right now is we don't have enough estate attorneys. And, and I think it's probably good that we point out that, you know, if you want to come to me for a house loan, you're probably not going to have the most efficient person doing it. If you want to come to me for a cow loan, I'm your guy. I, I know how to do that. And same in your business. Uh, if I need a DUI attorney, heaven forbid, um, that may not be your area of expertise, but estate planning, you're my guy. So. You're exactly right. I always, I always give people the, when I do talks and stuff, I tell people, I'm like, you don't go to a, a, a foot doctor for heart pain. I mean, when you're looking for estate planning, business succession, go to an attorney that, that primarily practices in that area, that understands the ins and outs. Because when we're talking about estate planning, we're not just talking about, well, I'm going to give everything to my kid. Yeah. We're talking about tax consequences, business succession uh, issues, federal estate tax issues probably. There's basis step-ups. We, we're talking about a bigger picture um, for the entire ranch. Uh, you know, I, I referenced the numbers of customers that I've worked with over the years, and and I'm at the stage of my career where I try to have this conversation with them and we do their annual renewal, whatever it is. If I see them in the bank, you know, Elliot, have you guys done this part of it yet? And far too often the response I get, well, if I have two kids, for instance, uh, well, they're going to to split it between them. Okay, have you done that yet? No, they know. Well, <laughs> <laughs> You know the consequence of that. They know. Yeah. Is it written down? And if it's not written down, it's as good as the paper towel you cleaned up the counter with. That's exactly right. Um, and I see those situations where in in somebody's mind, it's really easy. You get it split between two people. Who's going to control that split? That's the next question. Well, one sibling might, one kid might think that they're in a better position. The other kid might think they're in a better position because they're on the ranch. Well, now we have a fight of who's going to control yep. the split. And then we get into, well, what if mom and dad don't have capacity to make decisions? Who's going to control those decisions? So it's not necessarily we're thinking about, well, I'm just going to split my estate evenly. It's who's going to control that. And yep. a lot of times the fights start there. Um, and that's why we need to write these things down to make sure the direction is given when we're gone that this is how I want things to go. And 
I'd, I mean, this is just a guess, but I'd say 60 to 70% of the time, just seeing it written down and mom and dad's signature on that paper will prevent a lot of fights. I have used this example a number of times. Some folks that I'm, are near and dear to me, they told me exactly what they wanted, took them to the attorney. All right, I told the attorney what they wanted, um, brought them in to sign the paperwork. He was you know, splitting it down the middle, half and half, half to one kid, half to the other, easy. They go put their number, or excuse me, their name on paper, and mom couldn't do it. She knew that one child didn't have the capacity and the, the degree of responsibility within them to have that place. Mm-hmm. And it sounded really good and really easy until it came to the point where she was giving up her life's work to somebody that she was afraid wouldn't take care of it. Mm-hmm. And so we changed it. But that's, as you say, the beauty of writing it down and seeing it becomes a little more real. And you start to think about the consequences of it. Yep. And then you make probably a little better business decision at that point. Uh, we hope you do anyway. Yeah. And and that's the conversations we have when, you know, if there's an issue with, well, you know, kid one might not like kid two running everything. We start talking about corporate trustees. I know the bank does uh, corporate trustee work, personal representative work then the kids can be mad at a bank and it's yep. a lot easier to be mad at a bank than it is to be mad at, you know, somebody, their sibling. So right there, you kind of dipped your toe into the part of this that gets intimidating for people. Uh, when, when they hear words like corporate fiduciary, corporate trustee, they don't know what that is. So they just kind of slow down. So if you could throw that into layman's terms for me, what, uh, what corporate fiduciary, corporate trustee. Yeah. So d- depending on if we have a trust or just a will, um, instead of naming a, kid um one of over the other because the relationship your fear is they're going to be strained we can name a bank or a third party um trust company uh but primarily their banks uh that can handle the administration of your estate or your trust and what that does is it puts somebody in the role that has done it knows the ins and outs of it can work with the attorney to get the administration done and the fights that we typically see between siblings go primarily go away because we don't have that that conflict of well you shouldn't have sold it for this or you you wanted that and I didn't the bank knows how to handle these you know in a a trust scenario if we have a trust that continues on for quite some time you know those banks are investing the money appropriately they're they're handling the accountings that need to be handled. They're providing the notice um, instead of leaving it to uh, one of the kids to try to figure this all out on their own. Um, now, with that, there's always a fee that comes with it. Um, but most trusts have the trustee having a fee anyway or the personal representative having a fee. Um, and, you know, when you look at these, not every scenario entitles or needs a third-party trustee but when we do talk about it one of the things that i bring up is yeah it's a fee but you got to look what you're getting with that fee you get some efficiency you get some knowledge you get some expertise that you may not want someone's uh first time being a trustee for an estate to be an experiment when they're managing a two four six eight million dollar estate that's mm-hmm. a it's a bad time to get your education yes well and you got tax filings you got to worry about distribution requests and then the next part of it is if you you do have liquid assets you're dealing with you know investing that 
those assets prudently. Um, and most of these trustee fees include those investment services. Um, so you just kind of look at the entire picture um, and see if it's if, if it's for that family. Um, and and it really is going to depend on how the ranch is go- or the farm is going to uh, proceed. Is it pretty common for you and when a family comes in in this day and age that they have a, a real estate holding entity, a, an operating entity under, you know, might be Elliot Bloom Ranch holds your real estate. Elliot Bloom Ranching Operation is your operating entity. Um, and then you might hold your car titles privately, that kind of thing. So that's part of the process you have to go through as well, figuring out how they how they hold title and stuff. Yes. I, I wish that was the case that everybody came in and, and has already had that done. Um, uh, we're a bunch of cowboys. We don't want to do it that way. It's, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I, I get it. Um, you know, setting up these structures, so these business structures, so that we can start gifting to our kids or our successor throughout life um, is a perfect strategy for an estate plan. If we're creating an LLC and we're gifting so many units a year on a gifting plan so that they can start getting control and some more assets. It's perfect. Um, but most people are still operating these under a sole proprietorship. Um, I see a, you know, a lot of issues where we have actual employees, hired men that, and people coming on to our land because we're doing a guiding service or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a property proper en- entity structure to save us on liability. Yeah. Um, and so that's another piece of it is just the liability concern. If we can operate the land in one chunk entity, the operation in another, something happens. At least we don't, well, we hope not to lose the land. Properly structured, I guess, uh, you would prefer the bulk of your work be estate planning, estate transition, and very little litigation. But unfortunately, if some of those pieces aren't put in place quickly enough, you get to you have to skip the first two and end up in the third. That's exactly right. And unfortunately, um, what I'm seeing is more litigation um, rather than estate planning. My, yeah. my practice is, is shifted just because there's more people fighting because nothing was done. Yeah. Or they tried to do it themselves, um, which is another whole area. I mean, printing off a will and trying to understand it yourself. I've been involved in tons of self-done wills or wills that are done two days before we pass away. Uh, there's just too many issues with that. Getting getting it done properly with a professional uh, is another surety uh, to make sure that you uh, get done what you want in terms of your estate plan. Do you have a preference as you manage your way through these interactions for a, you know to have a trust in the beginning or a will as one simpler than the other uh, a will is probably more simple but it takes more work in the long run to have a will probably to manage the estate than a trust would that be fair no i i don't think that's fair i mean a will is easier to understand yep. um because it's immediate when i die this is where it goes it's done the concept of a trust i i think is a little harder to understand because it could go for our lifetime the next generation's lifetime, the next generation's lifetime. Um, And and to touch on your question, and I see this, the difference between West River ranchers and East River farmers. 
East River farmers are starting to, and have been for the last 10 years or so, treating these operations like a business. They are planning, they are creating their trusts, they are uh, making sure their business succession plan is put in place. Ranchers are still, they're getting there, but it's a slower process. I don't really know why that is, but they can understand the wills, they'll get that set up, but the concept of trust, business succession, talking about early enough what the plan is, is what we got to get to. That's the goal. Um, and it's different. I mean, I don't like to compare West River ranchers to East River farmers. Just it's different. But the mentality has got to be the same. We got to start thinking of these as businesses that we can pass on. Um, and every situation is different. Some situations require a trust. Some situations don't. I'm swinging from left field here with my, my answer to, to the comment that you made and I would have to say, just superficially looking at an operation, uh, if you have a quarter of farm ground, it's a quarter of farm ground. And if you need to split it in half, you have 80 acres with farm ground on both sides, and it's tilled corn ground. Pretty simple. Our side of the state, um, you know, if you have two sections and you're going to split your place in half, one for each child, there's two kids in my family, that's why I was... I have three kids, so maybe I should split things in thirds. But at any rate, <laughs> if you're going to split that cow-calf operation, it's on, you know, you've got some grass on that you summer range on and then maybe some crick and some river that you're wintering and calving on. Those section lines don't always fall so that you are you have a viable operation after the split. Um, and that's the part of the conversation I get into with so many, you know, I've been on their places with them driving around and, and they'll say, well, how do we split this place so that the boy gets that half and the girl gets that half and that we still have two ranches? That's yeah, hard because very hard. Now you don't. One doesn't have a place to calve. One doesn't have a place to go in the summer. Where back east, they're not. It's not always that simple. But I think there's a greater tendency for it to be a section of farm ground that's all planted to corn or whatever real crop you have. You can cut that in half and you both have equal value out here doesn't work that easily, unfortunately. You're exactly right. So, you know, that's where we hit the roadblocks is mom and dad, how do we do it? And when the roadblocks go up, we slow progress. And, you know, they really want to come talk to Elliot about planning for their estate, but they don't know how to do that part of it. And I, that's maybe the bigger roadblock for us is to, to get people through that. And I, I wish I had a real simple answer for that. And I don't. It's, yeah. And, and, you know, I think the the start of it is just going to talk to somebody talk about it, yeah. talk to the attorney and start working through these issues. We might not be able to split it up evenly. Um, what else can we do? Can we supplement with, uh, some type of life insurance policy for our off ranch kid that doesn't really want to come back, got a life established somewhere else, um, to make it as fair as we can, um, but still be able to have that ranch continue. Yep. Um, and I tried it. It's hard. It's really hard to think about, but at the end of the day, does it have to be fair? And it, as much as we want it to be fair, I have three boys. I'd love for every one of my three boys to get the same amount. Everybody's different. Everybody want, has different goals yeah. and, and your goal, if it is to have the ranch continue and then maybe grow for the family, then that's going to be a priority that we got to look at. 
one of my favorite estate planning quotes is right's not always equal and equal's not always fair. And that's right. Uh, you, you do have to address, well, like you say, you got to s- establish your goal. Do you want everybody to have a like amount? Then it makes it pretty simple. But do you want this operation that you built over the last 60, 70, 80 years to continue? Not so simple. That's right. And I learned, I mean, when I was going up, equal is not always equitable. And, and that's, I mean, you're exactly right. It's, it's, do you want it to continue and grow? Um, or do you want it to be bought every generation? Yeah. I'm your host, Clay Berkland. My, my guest today is Elliot Bloom, an attorney with Beardsley, Jensen and Lee. Uh, the first half of the program, we talked quite a bit about, uh, how we get to the estate planning process. And, um, I think we're pretty agreeable. Uh, how many generations of your family has been on your place, Elliot? Uh, it'll be, I will be the third. I'm the, the fourth on mine and my son's at home with my, my folks right now. And I sure hope that sticks and, and he can be the fifth, but, uh, you have a, you have to develop a very deep appreciation for how a family can stay on an operation for that long. Cause it is far from simple. Um, oh, hundred percent. You got to, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears, we all know about that. Um, I think you have to recognize there's a little bit of luck involved, too. Um, the storm went south or north and avoided your place, and you got all your calves that year, and sometimes the neighbors don't. And So there, there, there's that aspect of it, too, but we, we try to mitigate and eliminate the luck as much as we can. So that gets us to uh, your and my goal here is to get people to avoid fate and luck and have a plan in place so that we, we have an estate to disperse and to do something with. Uh, we talked on, on break about a few things that you you see being challenges, uh, one of them being beneficiary desig- designation problems. Uh, that's a mouthful of words, so break that down <laughs> for me and tell me. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, on bank accounts, um, retirement accounts, uh, even property now these days, we can have beneficiary designations. Um, we want to make sure that those are up to date all the time. You know, when, when I first opened my first retirement account, my dad was my beneficiary. Yep. Um, we got to be updating those as life goes forward. Um, we got to be putting our wife and then as secondaries, put our kids just in case something happens to me and my wife. Um, so keeping those up to date um, and then checking with your entity that's running your investments or running your bank account to see what other type of entities we can name as beneficiaries. If we're creating a will with a testamentary trust for the kids in case something happens uh, to me, like for example, me and my wife pass away, we have a will that creates a testamentary trust for our our boys. Um, If something happens to us, we want to make sure that testamentary trust as created in the last will and testament dated so-and-so can be named as a beneficiary on these policies and um, legally it can be done, but some company policies don't allow that to be named. Yeah. So we just got to, you got to look into that. A, a real common mistake. You, you talking your way through that. It reminded me something we see in the bank far too often. Um, people have a misunderstanding of what a power of attorney is capable of doing and they'll come in and they'll say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on my account as power of attorney. My problems are solved. When I'm gone, you'll just clear out the checking account and make everybody happy. Well, a lot of folks don't realize power of attorney expires on my death. And while I think I've granted you that power, that power disappears upon my death. And then 
that's sitting there with nothing to do or no no direction for it. So can you walk me through how we protect things like that? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so people today don't just need a will or a trust. There's a bunch of documents that uh, we need to protect ourselves no matter the situation. Um, one is a will. Uh, two is powers of attorney. And they can be split up into business and financial decisions and healthcare decisions. Um, those, and then there's living wills, HIPAA releases, other documents that kind of go along with making sure no matter what happens to you, you're going to have somebody in charge to take care of things. With those power of attorneys, they're a great tool, but there's also an expiration date on all those. So yes, just having somebody on your bank account as a power of attorney doesn't give them the right to do everything. And you know, one of the big things depending on what the power of attorney says, it won't allow them to put beneficiary designations on no. or to change bank accounts. Um, that power of attorney is in a fiduciary relationship and has to do everything uh, that would be in your best interest, um, the grantor. So it's very critical, even if you are a power of attorney over somebody or you're creating a power of attorney, that you have the right person in place and that person's going to do um everything, everything that they do do is in your interest. And if there's a capacity to carry some of those decisions forward, if, if you are incapacitated, if you have a stroke, uh, that, that they can make some of those decisions on your behalf with a, with a durable power of attorney, or a, excuse me, healthcare power of attorney, that type of thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then when that job is done, let's say you did have a stroke, you don't have capacity, the power of attorney has been taking care of bills for you, helping you with medical decisions, once you pass on, then another document comes into play, yeah. being your will or your trust. Um, and, and so each document has a specific goal in mind um, to make sure that person that you've elected is doing what you want them to do or can do. We also want to talk about titling your children on bank accounts. Yeah. So I closely related, <laughs> closely related. I, I see this a lot. Um, clients will come in and they will say, they have three kids, for example. Two of the kids live not even in the state. One kid is close. And they have put their kid on the bank accounts. Here's the issue. Unless you intend that one kid to get all that the funds in the bank account when you pass away, uh, we shouldn't be doing that. And, and there's two reasons. One, kid gets all the money when you pass away. Now they're in a position to do the right thing and split it all three ways. And now they have a gift tax that they probably have to file. Um, or they keep all the money and now we're in a bigger fight. So I would rather see no kids on bank accounts um, or all the kids on the bank account yeah. as beneficiaries, not as joint owners. Um, and then allowing the will or the trust to operate like it's supposed to the money from the account goes into the estate or the trust and then gets split evenly after the administration is completed. So as I'm listening to you talk here, uh, clearly the first thing we need to do is get an appointment, come see you, walk <laughs> yeah. through this. Uh, what would be my expectation of, you know, if I come in with my plan, we talk through it, we like it, we sign documents, how big a window or is this... A month, a week? Uh. 
it depends on the situation. I hate to yeah, always yeah, say right. that. Well, you know, if we got an estate that, you know, we're running a thousand mother cows, it could take a year process just because we have that land, all the land to deal with. All and the if cattle. you have BLM, state lease, um, forest permits, uh, every one of those increases the degree of difficulty. Um, we're yep. in western South Dakota. What's roughly a third of western South Dakota contain properties within the bounds of a tribal reservation. So that can factor into some of the decisions that you make. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. I ask you a leading question intentionally, and you answered yeah. perfectly. Yeah. So. Uh, you're exactly right. I mean, it really does depend. So, you know, a some of the estates that I get are, you know, we have a house, bank account. I'm going to say typical American family. Um, you know, those usually take probably two to three months. Um, and the reason being is just everybody has to review it. We make sure that we go through the process correctly. You know, my process is, is I don't just send you out the documents and have them sign yourself. Yeah. I we're going to meet it quite a few times just to talk through things. You make sure I understand the consequences of this document that I'm signing. Exactly. Yep. Um, but, and then, like I said, you know, bigger ranches, bigger businesses, it can take a, a, a long time. I mean, once we create the trust, for example, if we do a trust planning technique, you know, it doesn't just end there. Now we have to retitle all of our assets into the name of this trust so that we are avoiding probate, which could be one of the goals, um, of this plan. Um, and probate these days is not as scary as it used to be. It's a lot simpler, right. straightforward process. But if, if one of the, I'll give you an example. Um, sometimes with ranching operations, we need to worry about having somebody in charge when I pass away to make sure the cows are fed, to make sure we can order feed, to make sure we can, um, pay the hay grinder with a trust. It allows somebody to step into that role right away. When we are doing a will and we're probating, there could be a three or four week delay just getting through the appointment process, meeting the attorney, doing all that. So a lot of times if we're not in a business entity already where somebody can take control, a, a trust is another vehicle that we can use to have somebody right there, being able to write the checks to keep those cows fed. Yeah, if you should happen to have your death occur over the time frame when you're maybe selling calves, that's probably might want to plan a better time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Don't die then. <laughs> so if I'm hearing you correctly, uh, the best time to start your estate plan is kind of like planting a tree. Should have done it 20 years ago. But today's your next best option. Yes, yes. And it's a building block. You know, when, when we start, you should start planning your estate right away. As soon as you can make a will at 18, start planning your estate. It can be very simple. And then throughout our life, we build on it. Um, and I always tell people every three to five years, always check in, look at your estate plan. That's kind of the cycle we're seeing and laws changing in Congress, laws, new court cases coming out to things that need to be added to powers of attorney or trust. Yeah. Um, and every three to five years, usually there's a big life event, uh, whether we have kids, whether we're getting married, uh, or possibly another death in the family. Yeah. So you talk about laws impacting, uh, 
some of this planning process, Corporate Transparency Act. Talk about, talk through that for me. Yeah. So this is a, a new law that is coming into play. Um, and I'm not going to get too much into the details, but some of our ranchers that do have limited partnerships, LLCs set up, there's a new federal requirement that we have to get the owners, the beneficial owners of these LLCs, limited partnerships, signed up with the federal government. Um, there's some exemptions depending on how much you make and if you're already uh, filing certain federal documents. But most of our, I would say most of our ranchers that have LLCs, limited partnerships with one or two partners, um, we need to get them signed up. Now we have a year to do it if you have been, um, if you've had your LLC prior to January 1st, 2024, but any new LLCs that we set up, there's time limitations uh, of when we have to register with the government. Okay. So that that's something that I think going forward is going to be possibly an issue for people um, and also a requirement that we got to do in setting up these business entities. So another thing on the checklist that helps to have you involved because you're going to help check that list. Yeah, exactly. And, and my biggest thing is a lot of ranchers, again, they're day-to-day, they're getting those cows fed, they're not worried about what they need to do. I just wanted to let them know that this is a something that's coming up that they need to look into. Well, if you have the bulls push over the corner post and everybody's in the, the hay lot, <laughs> that takes precedence that day. It does, it does. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's a fact of life that we deal with routinely. I'm pretty hesitant to bring up the next topic, uh, just because it, it's so deep and it could impact us so quickly, but I'm always one to jump in and see where the where it all flies. Uh, we had a pretty good, I, I can't give the time frame, uh, relief from estate tax. Uh, they, they lifted the ceiling, and that's set to sunset here in January 1 of 26. That's exactly correct? right. Yep. What, what I'm discussing there is the estate tax exemption falling. So walk through your fears and expectations of that for me, if you would. Yeah. I mean, you know, right now the federal estate tax exemption is very high. I mean, adjusted for inflation and the number's always changing, but roughly um, the estate tax exemption right now is 24 million per couple, 12.6 million a person. So what that means is we can pass away during our life or at death assets up to that number before getting a tax. Um, and so then when we're planning, if your estate is below those, well, usually we don't have to worry about it. Um, now in 2026, January 1st, that exemption is sunsetting back to what it was adjusted for inflation again. And it'll be around that 7 million, uh, per person that we can give away, uh, in life or at death tax-free. So which for your Typical ag operation in western South Dakota, if you've got 5,000 deeded acres, 400 head of cows, a set of machinery, and uh, some life insurance benefit when you're all said and done, you could start bumping up against that number pretty quickly. Really quickly. And you might not bump up against the 12 million number, but when it sunsets, you might bump up against that 7 million pretty yeah, easily. Yeah. So that's just a consideration um, that people need to have in planning um, and why you should go plan 
so that we can do some different techniques to possibly avoid or push that taxes out. So if you were planning to get an appointment with Elliot, I would do it this year, not next year. <laughs> As we get closer to that exemption falling, you're probably going to be a lot busier there for a while. Oh, yeah. I, would have to, I hope, I guess, because people need to plan ahead for that. They, they um, do need to plan. There's still some, um, you know, I'm not a tax expert by any means, but I do consult with them all the time. Um, we're, they're still telling me that we're waiting on IRS direction on, on some of this and how it's going to operate. But definitely get in. I don't want to run into, you know, a 2012 situation where it went down to zero and a, yeah. there was a, it was a mess. Um, and at that time, if you're waiting, good luck getting into an attorney because they've got everybody else backed up. We saw a fair amount of panic in 2012. Yes. <laughs> it's never good to make a decision while you're panicking. Yes. And we saw some <laughs> panic decisions made. Um, you know, as I've done this over time, the, the primary goal for most people when they pass away is to not pay taxes. Uh, their primary goal with estate planning before that is to not give it to the nursing home. Mm -hmm. So uh, tell me how to avoid that. And that's an unfair question, but yeah, <laughs> I throw it at you anyway. Yeah. And I, I here's the situation I see a lot of times. Um, it's not so much. I see people coming in to me saying, I don't have anything set up. I don't have any long-term care insurance. I have my ranch and I'm 85 years old. Um, how do I avoid the nursing home? Cause I'm going to go into the nursing home next week. Um, not only do we have probably a capacity issue we got to worry about, but planning's too late. Yeah. We're not planning. We didn't plan soon enough. Um, when we start thinking about, Hey, eventual nursing home care, um, we always got to look at what structure can we do. One of those structures is a business entity and start gifting the shares of the ranch over our lifetime so that when we do have to go into a nursing home um, and we don't have as much or our kids don't have to pay as much uh, to get us in there. Now, at the end of the day, somebody's going to have to pay for it. It's still going to come out. Um, it's just, can we delay that enough uh, to where maybe we're in a better financial situation. My kids might be in a better financial situation. Um, at the end of the day, get in sooner, talk to your estate planning attorney so that we can figure out a plan, whether it be long-term care insurance uh, or another vehicle that will help us with that burden or really our kids' burden. The current look back on that, well, I think it's always been to look back on that. It's like three years? Five years. Five years, I'm sorry. Five yep. years. Okay. Yep. I'd made some notes here of things we were going to talk about, and I can't recall. I have funding a trust, not operating, uh, not updating a plan, excuse me. Um, I hope you recall what that was going to be about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. So, a, a That's lot, why I have you here. <laughs> a lot of times people will, will go to an estate planning attorney, they'll get their trust set up, and then they stop there. They're done. Um, I think people need to realize that, hey, once we s establish this trust that's going to start operating, um, that we need to transfer all our assets into this trust, just like a business entity. N retitle your ground. Retitle your bank accounts. Get everything into the name of this trust so that we're not having to probate it just to get it into the trust later on. Yeah. Um, and and I, I see that a lot where... Uh, people created a trust and then they just don't think about it. Don't, don't do anything. 
Um, and then when they pass away, we have all these assets that are not titled into the trust. So we have to probate it, get it into the trust. It's just another step that we could avoid um, and more fees, obviously. And again, one of those things where if you have it in place every three to five years, just make sure that you've not had a marriage, a divorce, kids graduate from college. Uh, maybe you bought the place next door because it came up for sale and you forgot to title that correctly. I've, I've unfortunately seen that happen a time or two. Yes, <laughs> yes. And, and it's does, easy to fix. But. It, it does happen. Um, and again, we have checks and balances in place to, if for some reason you forgot to put that new Dodge pickup that you bought uh, or trailer uh, that you bought into the trust name or however you, whatever you purchased, we have processes in place that will get it to where you need to go. It's just an added expense that yeah. we try to avoid. Well, we've been talking quite a while here, Elliot. Uh, I hope we haven't scared anybody too badly. And if we have scared them, I hope we scared them towards taking some action and, and making a plan. Um, I hope if they're ready to make that plan, we've given them a, a little guidance on how to get a hold of you or someone with your capacity to help them through that process. Um, what have we missed? What do we? What else do we need to talk about? I, I think we covered the thirty foot, <laughs> thirty thousand foot level view. Um, you know, really, the big thing is everybody's different. Biggest thing is just start the process. It's always good, no matter where you're at. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up. Uh, what is it February 13th at three o'clock in New Underwood? We're having a, an estate planning seminar that uh, Pioneer Bank and Trust is doing that in conjunction with Elliot. Um, again, that's February 13th at three o'clock in New Underwood. You can go on pioneerbankandtrust.com or call one of our, our branches and find out more information on that. Um, I don't think of all the questions to ask, so hopefully there that day there will be people to ask you more questions that will help people move the right direction on, on their estate planning. And Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping it to be, a, it's going to planning on being a pretty open discussion. Um, questions can be asked, uh, talk to me. I'm, I will talk as, as <laughs> you know, so. Well, that's how you get your questions answered. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much for your time today, Elliot. I do appreciate you being on. Of course. Thank you. Pioneer Bank and Trust, member FDIC.